I am Maureen of Chicago. And I am Megan, daughter of Michael and Lisa. And we are Burdened with Glorious Podcast. Welcome to the show where we talk about our favorite trickster, Loki, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. So I was just talking to uh, you about how it's pretty perfectly fitting that we're doing this at all, because it seems like in a lot of ways, uh, Loki is kind of the reason why we're friends, isn't it? Because... Yeah, yeah, it, it's not just the Avengers that he brought together. Yeah, indeed, it brought us. So uh, for those of you who weren't there, early 2010s Tumblr was a very special time in history where uh, all the fangirls were talking about the Avengers, but specifically Loki. And uh, I noticed uh, Megan's Tumblr account specifically. Uh, it kind of caught my eye because she, you, Megan, you were the only one uh, who was a fangirl on Tumblr, who regularly posted about Loki, but at no point did you excuse his actions or be like, he's like the Christmas tree in Charlie Brown, all he needs is a little love. And I just found that very unique and refreshing. <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, I definitely think that, like, back then there was also, there was also a definite degree of wanting to distance myself from that kind of thing like I'm not going to pretend that there wasn't a certain degree of not like other girls syndrome going on there but part of it is also that I I sort of I sort of accidentally ended up backing into this fandom from a very weird angle which was actually common for a lot of things that I was into especially at that time in my life like um as you guys will probably discover listening to the show um you know, there's a handful of other things that I consider to be, like, fairly defining fandoms in my life. I, the most recent one is the AMC series The Terror, um, specifically the first season, the one about the Franklin Expedition. And the funny thing about that is that I feel almost as though The Terror is one of the first things that I've gotten into in almost 20 years, where I actually got into it in, like, a normal way. Because the MCU thing, it happened via... A role-playing board actually and some of that was actually somebody else asking me to make a Loki account before some stranger could come over from Tumblr and make one <laughs> which which I'm not even joking that was that was kind of the genesis of the whole thing I mean and that's actually relatedly you know if you ever happen to look at my uh, my Twitter account you'll notice my my username is um, Dias and like Ozzyman Dias but with Meg in there instead, and that is that is that is a Watchmen reference. I, I wish I could say that it were a Percy Shelley reference, especially considering that my my current like display name is is Mary Shelley's Ozzy McDias. But honestly, that was just I, that was my Halloween handle last year, and I just mm -hmm. never changed it. But that happened honestly through the that's that's a Watchmen reference, and it happened through the same role playing board. So I think one of the reasons that I had that perspective going on early was because, for one thing, it was from this point of view of maybe you should just go ahead and make this before somebody that we don't know comes in and starts tumbling all over the place, which, you know, again, not the best of motivations in retrospect. But at the same time, it also put me in this very strange position where almost from the start, I was actually thinking of this character as somebody as as one of my friends at the time who ha also you know it was the kind of board where 
we had a very loose approach to continuity and that eventually became an absolutely suffocating approach to continuity, which feels very fitting for what we're going to be talking about this episode. But at the time, it was it had originally begun actually as a Phantom of the Opera fanfiction parody board, and it just sort of evolved over time. And But because it was originally poking gentle fun at a very specific type of Phantom fan work, one of the main things that you would do on there is just about everybody had a self-insert. It was just it was just how things were done. And so that meant that I, pretty much from the start, I was thinking of Loki as, even before Avengers 2012 came out, I should add, I was thinking of, of this character as essentially my friend's character's love interest, which <laughs> is absolutely bizarre. And it, But it also meant that... Um, this entire time, it, w- it was very, as the MCU continued and as it turned out that they didn't care, that they, well, not that they didn't care, but they didn't carry forward, that's what I was going to say, that they that they didn't kill him off and they and they didn't carry forward, like, the continued portrayal that he had going on in the, in the first Avengers movie. I ended up with this very weird fan and yardstick because I, I, I actually was lucky enough to get to see Avengers 2012 before it was actually officially released, like like legally, but um, because at this point I was already knee deep in, in trying to monitor what was going on, I'd actually been able to watch them film some of it in New York City, which is where I live. Um, I ended up with this very strange yardstick after I saw the movie. I, I immediately walked out, and this is again very strangely prescient of of this show. I walked out of that movie and I texted my friend and I said. So I don't want to spoil you anything, but I know exactly where the Loki that I have on this board split off from regular canon Loki. And oh. I can tell you exactly where that was. And and I don't need to go into detail on that for the podcast, but a big part of that was that ultimately, when I, when I kept saying yardstick and not finishing the sentence... What I meant is that I ended up with this very strange situation of essentially having a, an MCU Loki, a Thor 1 Loki, who had never been exposed to Thanos. And that ended up being the, the main thing, the, the main point of difference, although the more we started finding out about Asgard and, and, you know, and considering that he was still kind of in the middle of a breakdown in the first Thor movie, a lot of it ended up becoming, okay, so maybe he doesn't have this... this you know, this absolutely, like, almost nihilistic and very projected, um, you know, as, as they talk about in this episode that we're going to be talking about. I, I, I guess you could say that it's almost more like, instead of, the, instead of the whole, you know, desire for power thing in general, I would say that it was more just an extension of um, what you can see in some of the other movies as just the general Asgardian paternalism. Which, in retrospect, you know, as, as much as I'm kind of, you know, it, it does make me sad on a few levels that, you know, this board isn't really going anymore. I do kind of appreciate the fact that it, it did allow for a little bit of dissection of, well, you know, it, it might have been exposure to Thanos, which apparently Marvel ended up actually confirming at one point that made him quite the degree that we saw in in. in Avengers 2012, or Avengers Assemble, if you're listening from the UK. But, um, but you know, a lot of that, uh, t- 
to, you know, to quote that old drug PSA, you know, I learned it from watching you, Dad. (laughs) Yes, and it's very appropriate uh, how you mentioned, like, there's, like, a split between Loki of uh, 2011 Thor and 2012 Avengers, because not only is that explored in the show, which we will talk about uh, eventually, I promise, uh, but I've noticed that so many of the fans, when they write Loki fanfiction, they have very specific timelines of Loki, of, like, some include 2012 Avengers, some include, like, The Dark World, or others focus on more of his Ragnarok characterization. Uh, but for me, uh, I never really got into the Thor comics as a kid. Like, pretty much everything I knew about, like, being Swedish, I knew Thor was, like, a mythological god, and I knew Loki was the mischievous one. But, uh, everything I knew about Thor in the comics I got from Adventures in Babysitting. (laughs) Also from Chicago here. I was was vaguely aware of the Thor comics, I should point out, but honestly, my, my main exposure to anything Norse mythology related in comics actually came from um actually came from the Sandman comics where oh. um, a version of the mythological Loki is um is a is a pretty major character in one of the arcs uh when you when you go back and look at a lot of Neil Gaiman stuff he kind of keeps going back to that character mm-hmm. yeah so uh I had very, very limited knowledge of the Thor comics, so uh, when the movie came out uh, and I went to the theaters with a friend, and this was like when the movie had already been out for quite some time, uh, so uh, it was more of like something to do on a Friday night, so I went in pretty much blind of like uh, things that are like commonplace to like the fans, and uh, watching Loki, my eye was just immediately drawn to him because I think it was so fascinating how they choose to introduce him of like, for the first five or so minutes, he doesn't say anything. Like he just communicates entirely with his eyes. And I was so drawn to that. And when uh, the scene of like Thor and Odin arguing over like uh, stealing uh, the uh, casket of ancient winters and Loki's just sitting there like side-eyeing them, I immediately like, okay, he's my favorite character. I already know I'm going to like him for the rest of the movie. And yeah, he pretty much proved my point of like, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, so the scene where uh, Loki finds out he's a frost giant, that was basically, I shared his reaction because I had no idea that he was like that either. So it was a really interesting, like, shared reaction and by the time he had his breakdown by the time like he just had this stammer in his voice of like i I, i'm the monster who parents tell their children about in light i'm like Uh, ladies and gentlemen the first appearance of maureen's loki voice (laughs) get used to that folks but i was just like (laughs) my jaw was on the floor of like who is this man i have to be on the lookout for him And so I immediately went to, like, IMDb afterwards, and, like, of course, at the time, like, Tom Hiddleston had done such only, like, indie projects, like, but obviously that didn't stay the same for Lon. And so I was just immediately drawn to his characterization, 
And uh, later that week, I went to like my nearest comic shop and picked up every single Thor comic I could find and just thumbed through them and was just like increasingly perplexed because like, no, this this isn't the Loki I fell in love with. Why isn't he pretty? He's supposed to be pretty. <laughs> but well, I mean, which which honestly, I mean, they did end up eventually making the case partially, you know, I well, not even partially you know, because that's what people were coming to expect from the movies. Although it's very interesting to me that apparently the inspiration, like the physical inspiration for the current pretty Loki in the comics is actually apparently Harry Styles. Yes, because in the Agent of Asgard uh, run, which I will not stop gushing about in the future, BT dubs, uh, Hawkeye points out, Loki, what's with your look? You look very one direction-y. I forgot about that, yeah. Um... But, I mean, well, mm-hmm. and, and there are there have been various degrees to which you, you know. I mean, it, there's there are a couple there are a couple of different uh, like backstory series that they put out before there was like this huge groundswell of interest in the character. Um, if you there's one that that is often published in hardcover format simply as just Loki. Um, it's also sometimes published as the Trials of Loki, and that one is actually a way of pretty much trying to integrate the North, the Norse mythology along with the Marvel characters. And that one, that one does actually have the device of him starting off pretty cute. And then as, as things get worse, he starts looking worse too. Yes, I have read that. Uh, I, yeah, after like within a year of uh, Thor and the Avengers, I read pretty much all of like the biggest storylines involving him at the time. And, uh, in one of the biggest coincidences of my life, like, within a week or so of me having seen the first Thor film, I stumbled onto this magical website called Tumblr, and everyone (laughs) on there just happened to have the exact same feelings as I did for this character. And if you weren't around at the time, let me tell you, it was so fun, uh, going on your dashboard and just seeing, like, <laughs> a gift set of Loki just, like, looking a certain way or breathing. And the caption was, do you see this? Do you see this scene right here? This explains everything about all the hurt and the pain and the trauma he's feeling and the way Tom just acts it out. And I could something, not get enough of those. <laughs> something that, that will live in infamy for, for me forever. Was, and it was actually... <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah, no, she knows what's coming, folks. That's that's what this is about. Um, something that will live in infamy for me forever is because of that same role-playing board, at one point we were doing, um, me and a few p- other people that happened to be on that board, we would occasionally do things where we would just combine screen caps of things. Sometimes they would be of characters that happen to be from the same movie. Sometimes it would actually be combined so that it looked like unrelated characters were having a conversation, so on and so forth. And we, you know, and we were just, you know, it it was almost like those always sunny blogs that later arose, except we were doing with um, quotes from Arrested Development. There's an argument between Michael, who is, you know, the one who's probably the best adjusted and most responsible member of the family and his older brother uh job who is basic he's an aspiring stage magician which already makes this joke (laughs) funny to me but job 
ultimately feels really overlooked in the fact that he wasn't even involved in, you know, overseeing the banana stand business or anything. And at one point, while they're having this argument on the beach, Michael just scoffs, please, do you even want to be in charge? And Joe just goes, no, but I'd like to be asked. And so I, I put that quote over some screenshots of Thor and Loki toward the end of the first Thor movie. And it's just, it, I, I cannot tell you what legs this edit had and how much It has people, thousands of reblogs. It, it is, it is absolutely insane that people are all over this thing. And, and there's so many people that are just like, you know, talking about it being like Loki's essential tragedy and making paragraph after paragraph. Just taking it how, entirely like, seriously with no understanding of the context. <laughs> and, and all I can really do is add on to it. Hi, this is from uh, season one, episode two of the American sitcom Arrested Development, uh, Top Banana, and this is originally dialogue talking about the family frozen banana stand. Uh, so since both of us have written about uh, Loki for as long as we have, I feel like we have like sort of these constants and variables of who Loki is, and like. Uh, I know that you joke about seeing uh, uh, your your ca your character's relationship with him as like the sitcom arch nemesis sort of dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I I my um I also because of the type of board it was was a um I also had a self insert on there and I I don't need to go into her whole broader story on here, but um after a couple of initially cordial interactions. Due to some previous uh, storyline that involved watching another friend of hers be taken very badly advantage of, not not sexually or anything, don't don't worry, folks. But um, you know, having her uh, having her superpowers abused and all that, she was really my the self insert Megan was really really suspicious of the fact that Loki, who at this point she didn't even know was Loki, she thought was actually you know just this politician who appeared out of nowhere running for New York City mayor, which is funny on two levels now, because, <laughs> because A, I, I feel like I accidentally called vote Loki in advance. There, there, there were a lot of things that I feel like I called in advance. And two, also, um, have, you, have you looked at the New York City mayoral election in, um, atmosphere this year, folks? <laughs> Please help us. Um, <laughs> But, you know, she sees, she all she knows is that this guy who seems to have appeared out of nowhere, and yet somehow somebody, and some yet somehow everybody already knows who he is, just, you know, zeroing in on this friend of hers, and just feeling like, you know, I think the actual phrase that was used at one point was, how is this show already in reruns? And just, and then, you know, and then on top of that, once, you know, then once Thor shows up on the board, and, you know, she actually hits it off with him, even though things are a very different situation at that point than than they would necessarily be um, in the movies, you know, they they they're, the brothers are reunited under far more harmonious circumstances. But that's largely just because, as far as this Thor is concerned, you know, it's it's not that his brother had a massive breakdown, you know, in his last week of senior year, and then showed up, you know, on a on a three-day coke bender trying to take <laughs> over the world later on. It, it's like, no, he had the breakdown in his senior year. And then he actually doesn't see him for several years in this in this setting. 
and then suddenly it's just like, well, you seem well-adjusted and also apparently running for local government, which was motivated from the perspective of, of pretty much, you know, of, well, you know, you see, you have a throne, I wanted a throne, but you know what, they didn't give me a throne, so instead I'm going to make everyone love me enough that they give me a throne, which, you know, which we'll, we'll get back to some of how that ties into this episode later and how that's kind of a, actually a, a pretty noticeable constant of his character. Mm-hmm. But but the point is, is that my, the, the Megan character on there just got to the point where it was just immediately like, you know, she turns the corner and he's sitting in the room and she's just like, narrows eyes. <laughs> just, you know, the, just the fry squint, it, you know. <laughs> and, and pretty much only ever managing to like, even have a kind word for him in character when he managed to get in a dig on somebody that she disliked even more and just like, all right, I'll give you that one. Yeah. So my characterization of Loki, uh, based on what I've written fan fiction, uh, he really hits it off with Darcy because I thought being a political science major, uh, she pretty much tells him wondering why people in power do terrible things is kind of my whole thing. And so uh, it fed that like it's much easier for them to talk to each other than anyone else because at first I started as a joke really of like I was thinking of like uh, I was seeing a lot of Thor and Jane uh, shipping stuff on Tumblr at the time I thought oh they're a cute couple but then I thought to thinking of like oh wouldn't it be funny if there was like a pair of the spares with like Loki and Darcy and I laughed about it and then five seconds later I was like oh my god they're perfect for each other <laughs> and so. <laughs> I started finding all these similarities between their characters of like, especially when we see them on Jotunheim, Loki is like the tagalon who's like, we're going to get in so much trouble. Like I need to tell the authorities and then compare that to like Darcy uh, driving the car away from the wormhole saying, "Uh, I'm saving our lives, guys. And Jane's like, what the hell? And so I felt that so interesting of, like, they're both the most cautious ones. They're the tagalons. They shouldn't really be in their group, yet here they are. And I felt like they uh, they could bond over that so easily. And so I feel like by having Darcy be the way she is, uh, Loki could, like, find it much easier to uh, tell her the truth more than anyone else in the group at uh, Puente Antiguo in my fic. And so... I feel like sort of both serving as like a foil and also like an alternate version of who he could have been if he had like a slightly more well-adjusted life is what drew them to each other. And that's what kind of blew my mind watching uh, the Loki show, which we will talk about shortly, of like this character of Mobius pretty much asking Loki the same questions that I would have Darcy ask Loki so, like, if any of you fans out there ship Loki and Mobius, I don't even blame you because they have a very similar okay and then what and then what dynamic that I have uh, with the characters. That actually, and, and it's, it, again, that actually is a very, that's that's also a really salient point because, you know, we, we got to the point where we actually we got so bogged down in plot on this on this role-playing board, and there was so much else going on that at one point, even though we never ended up actually finishing it for a, a bunch of different reasons, um, there was a point where we kind of wanted to go back and sort of streamline it and try to 
you know, kind of narrow it back down from the beginning. And pretty early on in this in this rebooted version, there's a point where this other, where, you know, another character bluntly asks him while he's still posing as this, you know, human politician and not doing a very good job of it, I should add. <laughs> just straight up asks him, you know, well, why, why do you want to be mayor? And he kind of pauses and is like, oh, um, are, are you looking for a soundbite? What's this about? And he just like stammers o- over this. And, you know, and at one point he's just like, well, now you put me on the spot. And she's like, yeah, I have. And like, I, I can't, you know, I can't take credit for her end of this thing. You know, that this was very much me having him react to this. But at the same time, it was just like, you know, not to jump too far forward, but, you know, there's a part in this, in this show where Mobius straight up asks him, like, okay, so you get to be king, what happens after that? And he's just like, um, I'm king? <laughs> well, do you keep doing more? I guess. And it's just, he has no actual answer for this. But, again, that probably comes from even in a situation where he's not been, you know, totally Thanos to Helen back, that you know, he, that this is something that was really, like, you know, inculcated in him to a very large extent, and I, I do like that the, that, you know, the actual continuity decided to actually go ahead and point out how hollow this whole thing is. Yeah, um, I feel... the paternalism of it. Yeah, I feel like we can talk about, like, the actual show now that we have that segue... Uh, yeah. But I feel like a lot, the fa- a lot of the fandoms has had a overall very positive response from this episode, myself included, if nothing else, because they have a scene where a lot of the fans, when they've written uh, fan fiction, they just wanted to have like a cut to the bone, stop the bullshit, let's just really get into the heart of what your motivation is with Loki. Like, they always, they have a character, in my case, Darcy, of, like, okay, but why do you want this? Or, like, what would, like, what are your plans for the future beyond that? Or do you even think that you would ever get that far? And is that what this is really about? And just Loki backed up into a corner. And I, I, that's when I, that's when I realized, okay, I can feel confident in this show. I can feel like the writers really do uh, understand what they're talking about with this character. A Twitter mutual of mine phrased it as something like never having seen a show that just grabs the fandom's face very early on and goes, shut up, we know. No, no, listen. <laughs> we know. Shh, shh, now it's okay. Up. It's okay. We have things to do now. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't want to mention them by name on here because I don't want to give them, like, you know, undue attention. But I, I think about that a lot because, yeah, that that is pretty much the situation. Yeah, I think it really helped quell any uh, apprehension I had knowing that not only uh, is Tom Hiddleston an executive producer on this show, but there's this story been going around in a lot of interviews of uh, Tom just having his own Loki seminar of uh, I have no idea how long it was supposed to have been. Some say like two, some say six, but it was just Tom in a room with all like the creative cast and crew and him just like giving like a whiteboard presentation of exactly who his character is, what he would do in a certain situation. And I rarely say this of MCU stuff, but I would genuinely love to be a fly on the wall there. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, I mean, it also helps that that's, you know, I, I feel like discussions about characterization are more interesting than discussions about continuity, mm-hmm. which is another nice thing about oh, this show. Oh, good segue. The fact that the show is actually about an organization whose entire job is to maintain continuity or fucking else. And Here's our first F-bomb. I am so sorry. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I do love how it's set up right from the get-go that the TVA is framed as someone that the average viewer would initially not trust. I feel like this show has been very good at uh, having us uh, immediately empathize with Loki, and as such, neither him nor us should have a good reason to trust what the TVA is up to. And just, like, the everything about the aesthetic choices, the design of, like, I would just describe uh, the art direction of the TVA as just horrifically mundane. I'm going to use that phrase a lot uh, later on this episode to describe uh, that relating to them. It, it really, it, it's a very interesting use of what at this point has become a fairly common trope, the whole celestial bureaucracy. Um trope, which is essentially when you portray the powers that be in some way as office clerks and with all of the existential horror that comes along with that um, probably one of the most famous examples of this which is really interesting because it's not actually, it, it doesn't depict a celestial bureaucracy at all is the Terry Gilliam movie Brazil, which is sort of, um, which is a sort of I, I wouldn't call it more lighthearted, I would say like darkly whimsical sort of take on 1984. So as you can imagine with that kind of influence, Brazil is not actually a fantasy movie, except in some some sort of maybe magic, maybe mundane sort of ways. But it does depict the kind of bureaucracy running this world as so surreal and so overreaching that it's pretty it's pretty easy to associate it with essentially being the powers that be on a cosmic scale within this frame of the movie. But I think that, I think that, you know, we've all had bad experiences at the DMV. We all get really frustrated. I mean, you know, later on this month, Maureen is actually coming to visit me in New York city. And I, so, um, my, my ID was actually lost in a move, um, a few months ago. And because I don't have the ID to replace the ID, I'm having a hell of a time actually getting it replaced. So Maureen is actually going to be accompanying me (laughs) as like a stated guarantor of my identity so that I can actually get myself a replacement ID. So I feel like having lived through those kinds of circumstances and, you know, probably, you know, especially if you've ever had to deal with like insurance, HR or anything like that that kind of thing is just one of the most outstandingly unpleasantly mundane aspects of modern life and so the idea that the entire universe is run on those principles is honestly kind of horrifying like it's it's like it kind of like yes it's funny but it's it's also really bleak yeah i was just thinking of uh i was just thinking of like how it reminded me a lot of the good place of like uh, heaven not being so heavenly of, like, uh, the biggest problem which comes immediately apparent to the characters is that these, like, the afterlife is run by these beings who are most certainly not human, and yet they have uh, basically total control over human life, something that they can never 
fully understand or empathize with. So you immediately see like a problem in that how easily it would be to just lose sight of like people's lives and what they really mean. And just like for let's like putting, pushing all that to a side for the sake of order and efficiency and bureaucracy and all that stuff. And I definitely like how they're leaning to that angle of, uh, leaning on the angle of, of, uh, just like this. Yeah. This idea of like, just how horrifying, if you really think about it, the TVA is of like with the, like the Miss Minutes cartoon, basically having the implication that if you are simply late for work or uh, stop to smell the flowers or just do like anything outside of your predestined path, you, uh, that version of you can just completely cease to exist. And the implication is that they've done this millions of times and there is no way of you even knowing that you've done something you're not supposed to do. Something that something that, that made me think of, and like when I mentioned this, I, I, I wanna add the disclaimer that when I think about this, I'm pretty sure that the actual reason for the hole in my memory is not having my timeline reset. It's probably because I was actually so scared that I blacked out for a moment and just kept running. But the kind, what that kind of reminded me of when she was talking about this was probably a good 10 years ago or so, there was a moment when essentially my memory just cuts from seeing a bus coming at me around a corner at night on Central Park West way too quickly to me standing on the other sidewalk panting. Uh, and I joked, I, I joked a few times, like, after it happened about, like, God, you know what, I feel like I just died in another timeline or something. Like, what just happened? And the actual answer is probably that at that point I was so focused on getting out of the way that it just, you know, m- you know, my conscious thought probably just cut out completely. And that's, you know, and that's, that's pretty obviously what happened. Like, guys, listening to this, I really do not mean to imply that the TVA is real. Or that you're in a Russian doll type situation where you're just going to wake up at the exact same point you were. <laughs> you know, that, that, now that you say that, that also feels very analogous, even if it's something, even though it doesn't actually uh, have the same type of structure, other than there clearly being one true ending that you're supposed to get to. Uh, so the title of this episode is Glorious Purpose, and purpose is certainly a theme that is explored uh, very thoroughly throughout the episode. And it all, it starts with Loki saying that he has glorious purpose, uh, hence the title of this podcast. But uh, by uh, act three, there's like a change in him where he does see his purpose and it is the last thing he wants of like seeing that his only true purpose was to die, to sacrifice himself at a certain point, and others can uh, continue to live without him. And going back to the whole horrifically mundane thing is uh, it's quite fitting that one of the writers for this show uh, worked for Rick and Morty, because I joke that that scene where Loki's watching like his sort of greatest hits album on the screen is kind of like that one uh, cold opening where Rick talks to a robot he built whose sole purpose is to pass the butter, but he also programmed him to be fully self-aware of how awful that would be. (laughs) Of Loki basically finding out, yes, his whole purpose is to pass the butter. 
And, uh, like, it's so interesting of, like, when you go to, like, uh, have theological or psychological discussions with people, like, usually it's only human to, like, to want a purpose. And some people, uh, especially in religion, would find it very, very comforting to find out that they were created with a specific plan or purpose. But with Loki, it's like, oh, yes, you were designed with a specific purpose. It just does not benefit you in any way, shape, or form. Like, it, you know, it's, well, originally, probably kind of trying to get a rise out of him and trying to get some kind of emotional breakthrough from him, you know, Mobius initially suggests that, that his, the purpose he was created for is basically to make other people look better by being the bad guy. But in the end, you know, when he watches the whole, the whole reel, it becomes clear that it's not even that. Mm-hmm. Which I think, you know, or if it is, you know, he really only has the one moment of, of bringing the Avengers together, which, um, which actually, which, you know, and it's also very interesting in meta to note that one of the reasons that Loki was the villain of the, or, you know, at this point, I don't even know if he was all the way to villain yet, more like, you know, you know, antagonist having a breakdown of the first Thor movie was because it had already been mandated that he was going to have to be the villain of the um, of the first Avengers movie because he was the villain of the first Avengers comic book arc. And I get I get a pretty big impression of that, especially because like he's not doing great in that movie. No. And, it, and, it, and it's a very and it and it's honestly it's a very different not doing great than he's not doing in in Avengers because oh, absolutely. you know like I said he's he's. He's he's having a breakdown. He's in tears. He's he's just he's not he's he's and then and then like I said, you know, by, by the time Avengers rolls around, it's more like, wow, he is super pumped up on a four day coke bender, and boy does he look it. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really hope we see uh, in this series is one of the things that the fans have been, like, begging Tom to, like, clarify of just what exactly happened to Loki between the time he let go of the Bifrost and when we first see him in the Avengers. Because clearly, a lot of shit went down to him that's only just barely implied. And, like, my me, myself, I would love to, like, just see, like, just how bad did he get it? Just, like, how severely threatened... Was he by the Chitari? Like, what conversations did he have with Thanos? I mean, in retrospect, one thing that I do regret from my early, you know, taking no shit era in this fandom is the fact that I, I was, I was very big on the well, you know, I think he's doing this on purpose, and guys, we need to stop, we need, we need to stop, you know, giving him too many excuses. And then I think that they eventually did actually confirm and. Which, by the way, is one of my least favorite things for a movie to ever have to do. But they did eventually externally confirm that, like, oh yeah, no, he was he was completely brainwashed in that movie. And I think that you know, if anything, what we're seeing in this show is him shaking it. But you know, he's he's an entire level, other level of not doing great. Oh yeah. In in Avengers, which actually, which actually makes the fact that, you know, I don't know if this is intended, but. I feel like in this, I feel like in this first episode, I almost, I think that some of the fact that, you know, he's, obviously he's still kind of up his own ass at the start of it, but at the same time, he's a lot more, like, 
serenely, confidently up his own ass and yes. a lot more just, hey, <laughs> excuse you about everything going on instead of, you know, instead of, like, you know... The, feral. The, feral. Feral's a good word for it, yeah. And it kind of makes me wonder if, despite the fact that he really doesn't want to be there, at the same time, he's pretty sure that he can't be found there. Yeah. He just has to deal with these guys. Exactly. Like, I, fe- I definitely got that impression of watching, like, okay, I am very inconvenienced, but at least Thanos can get me here. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the other thing, so I actually watched it twice. Once, you know, I watched it, um, I watched it just after it premiered, and then um, Maureen actually texted me on Wednesday afternoon <laughs> being like, well, hey, do you want to do a podcast? And I was like, well, you know what, sure. So I ended up watching it again within the last couple of days. And something that did click with me a little bit better this time is that um, the callousness of the TDA in general about the whole, you know, about the timeline thing and the destined purpose and all that, it makes a lot more sense when you consider the fact that, according to Miss Minutes, they were created explicitly for this purpose. So it's probably very difficult for them to even understand somebody else getting tired of this or not wanting to, to go along with that. Right. Because that's that's all they, that's all any of them have ever known. Just like it, just like in the good place of like they are literal celestial beings who have never had a single day of living as a human, and that's why it's so that's such a perfect ending that uh, Michael. Uh, ends which series as like being a human for the first time so he finally gets what uh the other characters have gone through and that's just such a beautiful ending for him going back to the meta angle of this it's so fascinating uh not just as uh, like a fan of the show but like knowing the history of the mcu of, like, when you consider that one trivia bit that apparently uh, Loki was supposed to be killed off for real in the Dark World. But uh, later, uh, Kevin Feige and the writers, like, they really took hold of just how much the fans adored Loki and found him one of the most interesting characters in the whole franchise. So, like, okay, we can, like, find a way to, like, put him back in. It's hardly out of character for him to fake his own death. And that scene with him on the throne was apparently done during reshoots. So with that knowledge in mind, it's so great watching uh, watching him at the TVA watch the cartoon video of like uh, having the system so powerful and dedicated to telling a single story with no deviations allowed that a circular cartoon mascot with the initials M.M. telling its lead character he's not even supposed to be here because he was intended to be killed off for real is like a whole new level of wink-wink. God, yeah, you're right. But it, 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 but, you know, but then there's also the, the fact that, you know, we don't know to what extent that story is true either, although I would say that, you know, considering Casey doesn't know what a fish is, <laughs> that, yeah, he probably was created for this, but if I remember correctly, one of the timekeepers actually looks like Kang the Conqueror, who is a another Marvel villain who is uh, known for being a time traveler, and in fact, uh, Ravonna Renslayer, who is a judge in this at the TVA, 
is uh, actually usually Kang's love interest in the comics. So I've kind of been wondering about that, if, that, if, there's, if there's anything to that. Oh, I definitely the- think there will be lead-up to that, because uh, apparently uh, Kane will be uh, the villain of the next Ant-Man film. Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, which, you know, I have to admit, part of this kind of disappointed me, because as, you know, Maureen can vouch for this, my, <laughs> I was actually kind of thinking, like, oh, may- maybe Ravana is Kang in this timeline, or, or this this continuity. Because, you know, for one thing, I, I kind of just, you know, would hope that she would be more than his love interest. But, you know, you know, I, I'd like to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, but I would totally be with you on that of, like, the real twist was like, oh, it turns out that she... Well, it goes back to, like... I mean, if they did do that, that would be only perfectly fitting. Because, like, the MCU Disney Plus shows have really seemed to love the... Oh, this seemingly harmless side character was the villain the whole time. Well, I mean, you know, if you think about it, that's kind of something that Disney has been doing for a long time now anyway. Like, they haven't had a full-on, they haven't had a full-on classic Disney villain since Mother Gothel and Tangled, and that was in 2010. Yeah! Um, you know, I, I would say that probably, what, what year did Wreck-It Ralph come out? 2012. 2012, okay, okay. we had King so Candy. I, I would say that, I would say that probably, um, King... King Candy slash Turbo in Wreck-It Ralph is probably, he's kind of a hybrid form because on the one hand, you know, the fact that, you know, on the one hand, he is a surprise, but on the other hand, you can really tell that there's something off about King Candy the whole time. It's really just the fact that he turns out to be absolutely terrifying and also another character that's the surprise, but but generally speaking, they've really been leaning into the whole uh, surprise villain thing over the last decade. Yeah, but you know, the, the thing most... about surprise villains is you can if you can expect a surprise villain, is it really that effective? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I kind of suspect that they're probably never going to be able to scar an entire generation again, quite like they did with uh, the Prince Hans reveal. Oh no, Frozen. they're never going to do that again. <laughs> that That is But, you know, honestly, I will say that now that there are kids who were very young when Frozen came out that are now, like, teenagers and older kids and stuff, you know, I work with kids for a living. I'm a nanny. And let me tell you, that that, mo- that <laughs> moment is really shaping up to be an entire generation's I am your father. Oh, my God. Like, I didn't even think of it like that. <laughs> like, like, say what you will about Frozen. But that moment is just that that moment is just an absolutely formative shock to an entire generation of I guess at this point particularly like I want to say like the middle Gen Z kids you know the, especially the ones who were like you know you know eight to ten when Frozen came out still very firmly in the the target category but um, but you know a little bit on the older end and enough to have some expectation of story tropes in a different way. And, you know, so now they're, you know, they're, they're in their teenage, you know, they're teenagers and in their early 20s now. And apparently that really is like a generational thing now that the, the, oh, Anna, there was someone out there who loved you like that, that they're never going to be able to do that. Well, again, now I'm just imagining all these like five, 10 years now, all these BuzzFeed articles and YouTube analysis channels of like Gen Zers of like going over like, 
why this scene works, why it's so effective of Prince Ha and just completely subverting Anna's expectations of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's actually, it, it really does, it's, now that you, now that you bring up the surprise villain thing, though, it actually, it's, you know, it's also interesting how even, um, like, I guess you could say, like, generally around the time of that merger, that there were all of these things that, like, aren't necessarily Disney formula that started becoming codified, like, I mean, I think you could also argue that, um, that they're, uh, their whole thing now about casting Alan Tudyk in a small role in everything <laughs> is is a very that's a very MCU backflow sort of thing because I mean uh, that's yeah. kind of how they started with you know with Agent Coulson who it's interesting to note that they don't bring up that he didn't actually die. Well, I would I've seen they show him the video and then it's like I've seen some posts point out that the reason why uh, Mobius didn't tell Loki that Coulson survived in the Agents of Shield is because if he did, then Loki would immediately be able ah I can wash my hands of this. What are you blaming me for? Clearly, he survived. Okay. <laughs> So really, I think that if he told him that Coulson was brought back, then Loki just, he, it wouldn't have really hit him as hard that his actions have consequences. And that because technically, if you watch Agents of Sealed, Coulson did die. He was just resurrected and it was not a pretty process. It wasn't there also something with him then actually dying for real later, but then an alien was running around in his body and driving a giant truck or something? I, like, I don't know. I, I, I haven't watched after Agents season two. <laughs> and I, I have an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. mutual, and I just, you know, it's it, it, honestly the main thing that keeps happening is just, you know, terror fandom, handshake emoji, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fandom, guys that the fandom calls fits. Like, that's <laughs> So, one last thing I want to talk about this episode before we go into uh, a card I made uh, is that uh, it seems like the main conflict of this show uh, is not only free will versus uh, destiny, and I can already see all the Supernatural fans just glomping onto the show for that reason alone. I, I've only ever seen one episode of, of Supernatural, so I wouldn't be able to, uh, I wouldn't be able to comment on that. Uh, well, back in the days when we were seeing each other on Tumblr, it was all of, like, this Team Free Will sort of thing. I'll, anyway, um, so yeah, it just seems not only just, like, uh, Free Will versus Destiny, but it also seems like, uh, Team Single Good Best of All Possible Worlds timeline, versus uh, branches and multiverse and alternate character interpretations. And I find it so interesting that before I even knew Loki would have his own spinoff, at Comic-Con it was announced that the new Doctor Strange movie would be called Multiverse of Madness. And the fact alone that they're going to do the multiverse for that, we're going to confirm they're going to do the multiverse for the next Spider-Man film, clearly tells us the TVA by the end of the show is either going to be destroyed, completely powerless, or both. Yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting because that was a that was a theme that I really was like playing with myself in a lot of the, the Loki fan work. Something, something that's going to come up a lot in this is that there, there's a lot that I feel like I called, but by coincidence, like, I don't, I don't think there was, like, I don't think that, you know, because I, I know that, you know, for example, when, um, 
when The Last Jedi came out, there was that whole thing with somebody claiming that the plot had been ripped off from her fanfic. I do not <laughs> feel that way. I just want to, I want that on record. Um, but there, there have been several things in, like, multiple mediums where they do something with this character where I'm just like, oh my god, I did that with this character. And that's, that's a big part of, um, and that's, you know, that's a big part of what's going on on here as well, you know, with the whole, um, the whole predestination thing. Although, to be fair, that's also because that's something that they've gone into a lot in the comics. Um, if you, if you enjoyed the file-watching scene in this, I highly recommend, uh, the comic, uh, Thor and Loki Blood Brothers. It, which, for one thing, I, you know, I just want to brace you that it has possibly and intentionally the most repulsive-looking Loki of all time as its main character. Like, I really want to warn you guys for that. Like, this, you know, yeah, they make him as physically unappealing as possible to the point that, okay, isn't he supposed to be the younger brother of Thor? You know, I kind of get the impression in this one, though, that it's actually supposed to be part of his... Um, that it's also supposed to be part of, like, the unfairness of his situation. Because, I mean, this is a... This is, like, even more so than, you know, Kenneth Branagh and Tom Hiddleston have tried bringing into the um, into the MCU. This is an extraordinarily Shakespearean uh, book, this this comic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it actually, it, it, you know, it, you know, I think it's, it's supposed to deliberately make you think of... Um, of the beginning of uh, Richard III, where he talks about how, you know, if he cannot prove a lover, he is determined to prove himself a villain. Which, you know, I think that that's kind of the, I think that's kind of like the dominating factor of this. So I think that part of why he looks like he does in that one is also supposed to be, in that one, you know, he has no illusions about the fact that he was adopted from the Jotnar. He's probably at this point bitter at having like aged where Thor hasn't mm. as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's some of the impression that I got, and I also got the impression that like you know the missing teeth and stuff are probably from the you know are probably quite literally just from you know the number of times he's been struck in the face and he, you know he's had teeth knocked out. Like that's that's the impression I got from this. But there is there's a scene in that one where uh, Carnilla the Norn Queen actually shows him a whole bunch of different multiverses and he realizes that he's he's always doomed to be Loki in all of them and we're talking in, in somewhere you know he and Thor are only barely anthropomorphic the, the situation between them stays and and that kind of and that actually just like firms up his his belief that you know the only way to break out of this this dynamic is to kill Thor yeah yeah, this is kind of a good segue of uh, what I want to bring up as before I saw a single episode of this. Well, there's only one episode as of this recording, but uh, only after I saw the trailer did I come up with a Loki bingo card that I feel that some are much more likely to happen than others. But after watching just how weird WandaVision got, I will put nothing past Marvel at this point. <laughs> Speaking of sitcom arch nemeses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the first square I have put down is a musical number. <laughs> I, I, again, I would only have put that down after Agatha all along, but I feel like it's just so batshit, it just might be fit in with the universe. 
Uh, the next square is acknowledging Loki's background as a frost giant and trying to explore that further because I feel like that subject is just so quickly skimmed over in all of the other Thor films he was in. Uh, three is, since we are dealing with possible multiple alternate timeline Lokis in its own square, which would lead to Golden Kermit Collar Loki. <laughs> The fact if you've ever seen a picture of, of, of if you've ever seen any of the early Thor comics, for those who haven't seen it, one of his early costumes, for one reason or another, it was like a green bodysuit, and he happened to have like this long, multi-pointed, like dangling gold collar thing, and it it vaguely looks like Kermit the Frog's little collar. And I wouldn't have put that down, but after seeing Wanda and Vision have their own Halloween costumes that's pure Silver Age, I'm like, okay, they just might do this with Tom Hiddleston. I can't even tell anymore. So that's what makes it so exciting to watch. Uh, and I also think one of the alternate things we get is I, I used a theory. I used to have a theory. I'm not so sure anymore, but I thought that probably by the end since WandaVision is clearly setting up Billy and Tommy to be Speed and Wiccan, uh, that we'd have Young Avengers. And with Young Avengers, you would also have Kid Loki. And so, again, for those of you who are listening from an entirely MCU perspective, there was an entire arc involving Loki being reincarnated as a small French street urchin who was brought back to Asgard, and it turned out that this actually was, like, an entire new incarnation, and he was very cute and very innocent, and he, he genuinely was a mischievous scamp, <laughs> um, but it turned out that he was actually prepared, basically, as a safeguard for previous Loki, so that then he could, like, take over his body, and... And it's one of the most heartbreaking scenes in recent Marvel memory, which sets up Agent of Asgard, and I honestly feel like... Uh, even if they're not going to do the Kid Loki route, I feel like, from what I've seen so far, based on dialogue, they are taking some plot inspiration from the Agent of Asgard arc of him, of Loki's conflict being like, I, I've seen this future me, and I don't want to become that. Well, yeah, I mean, there is, there is the fact that, you know, Sofia DiMartino is very likely playing a female alternate version of Loki. Which is but on one of my squares. <laughs> yes, but there's also the fact that a while ago, like very early on when the show was first being put together, it was mentioned that Richard E. Grant was cast on this show. And as you might have noticed, there has been nothing indicating who he is playing on this show. However... And this is one of those, wow, they really do pay attention to the fandom things, but at the same time, this is this is really just me, you know, kind of spitballing based on that. His, his first big breakout role was in a very dark British comedy called With Null and I, which is about two hard-drinking, drug-addicted actors having basically the worst weekend imaginable in a country cottage owned by one of their uncles. And around the time that Avengers, <laughs> the, the first Avengers movie came out, there were a lot of people pointing out how much Loki on his five-day coke bender <laughs> looks looks like Richard E. Grant in With Null and I. If you ha if you happen to Google this, it's it's not it's not. They have the exact same hairstyle, give or take a hair few inches. They have the exact same hairstyle, and considering that With Null is also supposed to be under the influence and on the verge of a panic attack for the entire movie. He also has, you know, the very severely widened, intense blue eyes the whole time. You know, he, he, the point is, is that it's actually very, 
it's, it's very easy to imagine that it would only take a little bit of makeup to make Richard E. Grant look like a future version of Loki at this point. And I, I don't think, I don't think that's, that's necessarily a big leap, especially because I think you mentioned that somebody else was already cast as Kang. Mm-hmm. So now, so now it's like, you know what, I, I feel like the complete secrecy there and with the comic precedent, like, that's at least what I'm guessing. I'm, I'm staking my claim on that now. I could be wrong, but, but, you know, that's, that's my guess is that they're doing the, they're doing the whole future me scares me thing and that, uh, Richard E. Grant is going to be playing the MCU's answer to what is referred to as King Loki. Yes. So I also have, uh... Loki imitating Owen Wilson's character mockingly. (laughs) And I know this will happen because Tom has creative input and he has made no secret of doing impressions of many actors he's worked with, Owen Wilson included. We've actually heard his Owen Wilson impression and it is, it's, it's frightening. Yes. Um, I'm just uh, counting down until Loki has a reason to say, oh, wow. It's, it's, you know, it's it's the Lightning McQueen cinematic universe. You know, Daniel Gould, who plays uh, who plays Baron Zemo in uh, First Civil War, and then also on uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he happens to be that he's also the German dub voice of Lightning McQueen. So you know, it's there, all two connected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I also have a flashback to Asgard possible cameos from Thor, Darcy, or Jane, which will be a direct lead-up. I feel like by the end of the show, there will be a direct lead-up to uh, Thor, Love, and Thunder somehow. Um, Hinting at Loki being bisexual, but only in the most wink-wink possible way, since it's... You you say that as though the entire Loki-Mobius situation isn't kind of already doing that. Okay, but I'm usually the person (laughs) of, like... It means so much more if they actually break out the B word, you know? No, no, I know, but you were talking about, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudging, and like you said, it's like, you know, the, the conversation that they have is pretty much, like, it, it is straight up Loki love interest territory. <laughs> like, like, you know, as, as my friend Anne, whom I don't feel weird about mentioning by name on here, hi Anne, um, she actually commented on her, on her Twitter, she straight up said, so like, 2012... Tumblr really wrote that first episode of the show and then underneath it she said you know I really didn't expect them to cast Owen Wilson as the self as the self-insert love interest character but it's a really interesting choice or something like that yeah yeah so more spaces include Loki will show off a new fancy knife trick I feel like that's much more likely to happen than others uh we actually see Loki transform himself into an animal uh, under free space, I put down nude scene. So that's happened. Uh, <laughs> True. Lots of decade-specific costume changes. Uh, already put down Ancient of Asgard. Oh, continuing the Disney Plus tradition of a side character revealed to be the real villain this whole time. Which we've kind of already discussed. Uh-huh. But you know what? I have to admit, it's really gonna upset me at this point if it's Mobius, because I kind of appreciate the extent to which he's just some dude. Oh, yeah. And not even in an ostentatiously just some dude way, like, you know, like, you know, with with, with Agnes being Agatha, it's like, you know, on the one hand, it makes sense, you know? <laughs> this character was just a little bit too prominent for that, but, 
you know, I'm I'm gonna be really annoyed if it turns out that he's yeah. Not yeah, that would be very very yank the dog's chain, like the only person who Loki feels like he can really talk to was like was using the counting on that the whole time. Yeah, no, I, I oh my god, I didn't even think about it from that perspective, but yeah, no kidding. <laughs> the idea that once again <laughs> this, is, this is what you get for having feelings. Serve you know? yeah, it serves you right for letting your guard down for anyone once. Uh, God, it tur- tur- turns out that, you know, after after being, uh, you know, after going through all of this, that, you know, the first guy who shows up and is just like, well, slam in the back of my Dracula, how the hell are you? <laughs> is, like, <laughs> is, you know, I-, I don't know why I made him Southern. Owen Wilson doesn't have a Southern accent, but you know what I mean. Yes. You know, that, that would definitely be, like, incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. So I can already, ch- I feel like I could already check this one off of a soundtrack consisting of 80s synth pop. Like so far they haven't used any actual artists, but I am I'm loving the Wendy Carlos uh, style instrumental score, especially for the closing credits. That just we sounds- We have actually gotten a confirmation that the next uh, episode is going to include its first licensed track to my understanding. Yes. Which is Clara Rockmore's theremin cover of um, Say Sans the Swan. Oh, yes. As well as a certain Bonnie Tyler number Tumblr absolutely loves. <laughs> you know, but you know what? That's that's also a Vote Loki reference. Oh. That was his, that was his campaign rally song. Oh, that's right. We're, we're talking about holding out for a hero, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> which was, in fact, a Bonnie Tyler song before it was the greatest moment in cinematic history. Loki is looking to steal the crown from Shrek 2. Of <laughs> <laughs> best use of that song. Well, and there was also a, um, there was also a, for a while floating around an edit of the final battle scene. Yes, of Ragnarok with to that. And, and I feel like I feel like somebody actually found something that said that like they found out that, that was actually what it was edited to and that they just ended up subbing in immigrant song again to kind of turn that into more of a leitmotif um which i would you know honestly i would believe that considering that all of the all of the places where it's slow where you know it's Zack snyder style slows down and speeds up again happen to work in a way that make that makes the action in this video sync up perfectly with what's with what's going on in the song i mean probably the part that always makes me lose it whenever i look up this video is that there's a point when it has one of those little da-da bits right as Loki tosses his hair out of his face. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, for the remainder of the card, the remainder of the square is my bingo card. It will end on Loki embracing his moral ambiguity and accepting himself for neither being quite a hero nor a villain. Uh, also continuing in the Disney Plus uh, proud tradition of MCU shows, the final episode will have a significant costume change for the sake of merchandise. <laughs> Someone says, not where, but when. And I feel like we have yet to see the final form of Miss Minutes. I definitely feel like we have not seen the last of her. Now see, her turning out to be some kind of... Um her turning out to be some kind of like big surprise villain that would be that would be entertaining oh yeah plus she's voiced by tara strawn who just has a tremendous range so i can absolutely believe her using that like sweet little sandy squirrel of voice but just like used in like terrifying context 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what, though? This actually makes me think of one more point that I wanted to bring up mm-hmm. that I, I didn't get to earlier. And that's that I feel like after several after several movies worth of um, ambiguity about this, I feel like this series finally really forces us to consider the question of what exactly is a god in the MCU? Ah, uh, yes. Because it, 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 it kind of... I, it, it kind of is starting to seem like it's just, you know, an extra special fancy person. Like, mm-hmm. like I, 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 I'm really especially considering that, you know, the confirmation that Russell Crowe is playing Hercules in uh, Love and Thunder, which, you know, as in the comics, implies that the entire Greek pantheon exists as well. Yeah, so, so basically... It, it, at You're, this point, it really is just like, what, what, you know, whose divinity is it anyway? Yeah, it's like, you're the only people, apparently the only people who are going to heaven are those who are just extreme pagans who just worship all the multiple deities throughout all cultures. Well, I don't even, it, it's not even necessarily, that's not even the impression I, I get from this. It's more just like, what, you know, they, they kind of keep establishing that, you know, both not to get super academic here, but, you know, they go out of their way to establish that, you know, both Thor and Loki in particular, and, you know, and by extension, Valkyrie, even though Valkyries, whether or not they were considered goddesses, is a little ambiguous to begin with. But, you know, they, they really go out of their way to remind you several times for both of them that they both have what, you know, very academically could be referred to as abject bodies. You know, you know, for despite mm-hmm. all of the you know slapstick that Loki's regularly subjected to, there's also a running thing in virtually every movie, with Thor getting slammed against a piece of plate glass and sliding <laughs> down in the most unattractive way possible. So it's and yet, you know, so, when Asgardians die, their entire body just like turns into stardust, so to speak. Yeah, and except then, you know, Valhalla is mentioned clearly as like an after as an afterlife, mm-hmm. but they still die and they go and they have an afterlife. But then where it gets complicated is then you have a situation like you know when you have the timekeepers, where you know if if there's anything approaching a god in this universe, and clearly like it's it's them. But then you also have a situation like the collector who actually predates the universe, even though he's you know kind of just some weird guy you know he's, he's kind of the epitome of one of those uh one of those twitter posts it's just like you know I, I think that you know there should be a guy who's kind of weird that's the collector <laughs> um he just happens to be older than the universe which really raises some interesting questions i feel what's like we're... timekeepers and all that as well i feel like but, we're going to get you know... some explanation uh when the celestials come out at least some slightly more the, clarity the eternals, you mean? oh yeah, yeah the yeah. eternals yeah yeah yeah, no, it's okay when the Eternals come out. Yeah, I mean, especially... Con- and then it gets complicated because so many of them have names that imply that, like, they were, you know, the inspirations for... Like, you know, one of them is named Thena, and it's like, wow, I wonder who the ancients thought she was. Um, well, they know, kind so- of retconned that within, like, the Marvel Comics continuity. <clears throat> they did do some backpedaling in Athena's case, considering, like, oh, we paint ourselves into a corner and that we already have Greek gods being canon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, and then there's also the weird fact that one of those possible future comics that Thor's daughter was named Thena, because comics, everybody! <laughs> um, but it really is, you know, it, it really does just raise a whole bunch of questions that, like, you know, you have a setting with gods, and then it just escalates to the point where then you've got things that functionally act more like gods, 
but then, you know, but at the same time, it's kind of implied that they were some sort of, you know, that they're probably not, they're just the ones that, like, you know, rolled up their sleeves and got busy. Assuming that Miss Minutes is, you know, assuming that her exposition is accurate in the first place and that there's not, like, you know, nefarious Kang-related reasons for wanting to herd everything into a single timeline, and there being other situations, you know, there might already be a multiverse, and we don't know about it. It might just, you know even if it was suggesting that the TVA is going to fall apart, it might kind of be that the TVA is full of shit to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said uh, earlier on the show, it just seems like they've done such a good job setting up things of where you just subconsciously think, oh, I don't want this organization to win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also I think that there's just an, I think that there's just a natural, you know, Nobody really likes being told what to do. Yeah. Except for, like, you know, lifestyle submissives. <laughs> that's only by one person. Anyway, um, you know, nobody really likes being told what to do. Nobody likes dealing with bureaucracy. And then, so I... And also, you know, and it's an inter- it's interesting that this is also a theme that they keep coming back to with this character in general. The idea that, you know, you've got this predestined path and you're not allowed to stray from it and the trying to resist it. Um, I mean, you know, Blood Brothers does play with that in the end, you know, it, technically Blood Brothers actually, and you know what, I'm not going to tell you how Blood Brothers ends, because I actually plugged that one for you guys to read it, and I'm not talking (laughs) about it in just a media discussion context, but, um, but, you know, it really hits on the, the whole predestination theme, and also a very important theme in the Loki comics, which I feel like, ideally, this will kind of lean into as well is also the sense of being in a story that it's yes. not just it's not just a predestined timeline it is specifically a story and you have a specific role in it that you have to play and if you don't play that role there's going to you know sometimes it's at risk of um, punishment sometimes it's just what do you mean don't play your role that's that's what you're gonna you know and it's the kind of thing that permeate you know that's a really for one thing that that really permeates pop culture to begin with i mean i remember maureen actually messaging me uh several years ago when mattel first launched the ever after high dolls oh yeah (laughs) several years ago maureen messaging me about when mattel launched their um they did a spin-off of uh, monster high doll collection that was called Ever After High, and in that case, it was the children of fairy tale characters basically being pressed into having to fulfill their parents' roles in order to make sure that the stories continue. And if they don't, they'll cease to exist. And the main conflict of the story was the daughter of the evil queen from Snow White deciding that, you know, she doesn't want to do that. And Snow White's daughter who it turns out doesn't actually fit the role of being Snow White herself all that well, but she's still, she's been raised with this expectation and she, she's, she's terrified of them not going through with it and ceasing to exist. And this was a doll line aimed at small children. (laughs) I just want to, I just want to throw that out there. It's, you know, it's, it's actually at the same time, one of the things that comes to mind about this, you know, the other one, on a much more serious note, that it, the other thing that it reminds me of is, of all things, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, the, um, the musical, which, if you've never listened to it, as spe- like, I should point out, it's not actually, like, Christian rock, like you would think it's Oh, no, not at all. 
Yeah, no, it's it's actually it's it's a it's a very grim deconstruction of the passion story, actually. Um, and a big a big part of the storyline is is in particular Jesus, Judas, and Pontius Pilate all gradually ending up aware that they're in a story that has been willed by some kind of higher power, but none of them really want to play their their roles in this. You know, when you know Judas basically just wants to get some sense knocked into Jesus because he's worried about the the Roman occupation really cracking down on them on you know on the people of Judea and you know Pilate actually you know has a dream about that you know I from what I've been told it's the one that his wife has in the Bible but in this because it's not actually like a Christian work it's reassigned to him you know all he knows is that there's something you know he has he's having this dream about this you know this man with sad eyes that all he knows is that his fate is somehow connected with his and he doesn't really put it together until the moment that he realizes that he's about to put this guy from his dream to death and he gives him all of these chances to get out of it and you know Jesus doesn't take it because at the same time he's become convinced that this is how the story has to go although he has a huge solo about this early on where he's actually very bitter at God for requiring this of him to the point where when Pilate decides not to save him it's a lot more like well this isn't my business anymore than it is in the Bible it's it's very much like you know what go kill you know go kill yourself if you insist on it kind of kind of situation and it's you know for being what it is and for being an adaptation of what it is it really it's almost spooky how hard it hits on the, the whole predestined theme thing and you know and if again you know if you've never actually listened to the lyrics the actual title song superstar it's it's judas basically asking jesus what he could have done differently if he had another shot or you know was he aware that he was messing it up this badly by following it to its logical conclusion and you know and so it might seem kind of strange to link that to this show, but it's it's something that's that comes to my mind a lot actually when I think about the greater themes of this show. Um, incidentally, just to just to get a little plug in before we go, uh, my friend Gibson actually runs the biggest Jesus Christ superstar website on the on the internet, uh, JCS Zone, which is worth looking into if you want to know anything else about the show, but. More importantly, Gibson and I are actually going to be hosting another podcast um, sometime probably within the next few months to potentially early uh, 2022. It's going to be um, called A Good Nightmare Comes So Rarely, The Rise and Fall of Dance of the Vampires, and it is and going to be an in-depth documentary exploration of probably one of the most infamous Broadway flops of the last 30 years, at least until the Spider-Man musical came along. <laughs> Oh, good segue, all coming back to circles. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But um, if you want to, um, but if you happen to look into it, um, we have a Twitter for that as well. It's um, Garlic Gothic. It's all one word. And so we, at this point, you know, we kind of consider this sort of a sister podcast. You know, it's, 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 the, Megan's, it's the Megan podcast universe. <laughs> uh, but no, it's. So, I can personally vouch that uh, when Megan and I uh, met uh, in person for the first time, she introduced me, like she showed me, like the full uh, musical of the original source of Tonsdor Vampire. I was like, how it was, yeah. how the Amer what the American musical was supposed to be, 
And it really is fascinating having seen both the European and American versions of, like, there's really not that much of a difference other than tone and just how committed the American one is to, like, making a joke of the situation and how that really makes all the difference in how you perceive the storyline. I mean, for the record, I absolutely love, love, love Tons der Vampires. Honestly, one of my favorite musicals, uh, looking back. And uh, seeing, like, I'm all for this podcast. I can't wait to see how it turns out because I just want to, like, feel like, how do you fuck this up? This was, like, an absolutely fantastic musical. They used all the same songs. They just translated them to English. But how do you fuck well, that up? <laughs> part of it is that, you know, sometimes you get an actor who is so completely dedicated to the role that he has, like, six-hour seminars on educating the cast about this, this part that it's already intended to center around, and he has something, you know, useful to contribute to the conversation. And sometimes you have an actor who is so desperate to not repeat his his star-making role in Phantom of the Opera that he insists on re on having everything rewritten to make his Vampire King character the comic centerpiece of the role, of the piece, sorry, excuse me, <laughs> when in fact there was already a perfectly suitable comedic professor character that he would have been great at playing. And so that's that's going to be one of the focuses of our podcast is uh, is talking about how this possibly happened. Yes, please and be on the watch for that. Please follow them on Twitter. I, for one, cannot wait to uh, listen. And see, aren't you glad that we're that we're plugging vampire musical podcasts and not meal kits? Ah, uh, yes, the joys of being free of sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, just that I cannot wait to see where episode two goes, and we will keep you posted on how my Loki bingo card has turned out since then. We will ideally be releasing these things on Mondays from now on. Yes, however, we were supposed to... However, uh, we... We were some between technical difficulties and the TVA telling us that we were going to be in violation of the sacred timeline if we actually tried to get this out yesterday you know we, we didn't really have that much of a choice no we didn't want to be pruned off so here we are <laughs> so this has been Maureen and Megan signing off saying we are burdened with glorious podcast and